So, okay, I think it's a good time to get started. Let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Sharad Agarwal. I'm the Chief Metaverse Officer of CyberGear. It's a digital agency I started in Dubai 26 years back. And we've pivoted from Web 1 to Web 2 and now Web 3. A lot of you must have attended our past webinars. We've been covering the space in detail. We've had webinars about the metaverse, about NFTs, uh, Web3, we did tokenization. And today we are going to cover DAOs, which is another very interesting pillar in the space. And we, as usual, have a global uh, panel. And uh, as I can see in the chat, we have a global audience as well. So looking forward to sharing our learnings and have some fun in the process. So I am joined today by my co-host, Rachel, who's coming in from San Francisco. Uh, that's uh, one of my favorite cities on the planet, Rachel. So welcome. And I'm gonna hand it over to you to take this forward and introduce our panelists as well. So Rachel, over to you. Thank you, Sharad, and for setting up this webinar together with me. Good morning, afternoon, and evening to you all, depending where you're connecting from. A very warm welcome. As Sharad briefly introduced me, I am Rachel Mann, the founder of Women Connect. Our mission is to create a sustainable world and equitable society through impact strategies. Besides working with clients to drive positive change, we are currently providing free coding workshops to refugee women in the US, and free coding bootcamp is planned for next year to enhance their career as blockchain developers which aims to improve lives and bridge the gender gap in tech. Um, first of all, I want to kick off the webinar with a quick poll to see what everyone's purpose is for joining us today. You will see it shortly uh, on the screen. Hold on one second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can see the poll. Perfect. Uh, it would help me to ask specific questions, and it would also help panelists to focus their answers based on your interests for a more insightful session. So while we give everyone a couple of minutes to answer the poll, um, I want to continue by saying a business legacy is what people remember the business for, what they have done to change the way we live our lives uh, uh, or for humanity. Uh, and a product or service is the vehicle to drive this change in the world, and DAOs can transform the way we run our businesses to achieve these goals. For those who don't know what DAOs are, DAOs mean decentralized autonomous organizations. They are self-governing entities. Instead of relying on CEOs and board directors to control funds, DAOs are enforced by blockchain-based smart contracts in which the rules are determined by DAO member votes. So now let's get back to the result of the poll. So we... Majority just want to learn something new, especially in Impact DAO. So I don't know if you can actually see the results. Yeah, we can yeah. share the results uh, with the audience uh, post the webinar, but clearly 77% of people in the room are interested in learning something new. And 31% want to know about the benefits for investing. And just 8% decide to go with the flow. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. So, and obviously, uh, to continue. Oh, sorry. I'm still. I'm still seeing the poll. Is yeah, I'm just going to stop sharing it. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, as you may know, there are many different DAOs with various structures and governance. So there is not a one size fits all uh, model. And today we are we will focus on impact DAOs, 
aiming to shed more light on how impact DAOs can make an environmental, social, and governance impact and why you should get involved. And I want to ask Brian from 21 Impact Labs, our first question. Or actually, Brian, do you want me to say cheer up? Because I know that you recently launched as 21 Impact Labs, but I'll let you explain that uh, yourself. So Brian has recently launched an impact DAO by leveraging uh, blockchain economic systems to sustainably scale capital, communities, and talent globally for accelerating solutions and cures to the most complex brain diseases. It's Cerebrum DAOs accelerates solutions and cures to Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative diseases using blockchain technology and impact DAO tokens. It's truly an amazing cause. Brian, first of all, thank you for being with us today and introduce yourself to the audience and also explain to us what is an impact down model and how does this model help achieve impact outcomes of a course? Thank you, Rachel. I'm ha happy to be here. And I just absolutely love this topic and I'm eager to hear from my co-panelists as well and learn more about what everybody else is doing because we're all innovating in this space right now. It's a very early days for impact DAOs. And so we're figuring it out as we go. Um, I'm a serial software entrepreneur. I've been doing software companies <clears throat> um, mostly in the US from Austin, Texas for the last 20 plus years, uh, web one, web two and mobile. Um, I moved into blockchain many years ago and um, I decided my next, my, my next software company using uh, this new platform of web three um, and blockchain was going to be impact focused. And it's really driven from uh, a personal situation I have. I, I have three lovely daughters, two of them are teenagers and one uh, little one that just turned 11. And, and she, her name is Ruby May and she is born with Down syndrome uh, 11 years ago. And one of the uh, impacts of Down syndrome is it, it actually manifests itself as an immune system disorder. And it causes things like type one diabetes at increased prevalence with the population, but it, it causes 100% of the population to experience accelerated aging and the early onset of Alzheimer's disease. And uh, not being a neuroscientist and not being um, a, a researcher or a medical person or a biotech person, um, I really had to think hard about where my impact would be because I wanted to make a difference in, in this disease that has no known effective therapeutic um, and has had seen many failures over the last three decades and is impacting tens of millions of people uh, and costing society trillions of dollars. And what I concluded was uh, blockchain economic systems were, um, were the perfect fit for changing the game with how we uh, pursue cures and solutions to very complex diseases. And uh, Alzheimer's is, is, a, is a case example, uh, Harvard's case study of of failures in, in funding models um, and centralization of funding and, and, and lack of, um, I think, uh, imagination and risk-taking uh, to try to uh, produce solutions. So I uh, came up with this concept of an impact now, and I know a lot of us are doing this, but I, I viewed it as um, my study of blockchain systems. I, I just think blockchain mechanisms, properly designed crypto economic mechanisms are amazing for uh, sustainably coordinating talent and capital on a global basis uh, to pursue a focused common mission um, and achieve measurable impact outcomes for that mission. So 
I believe that we can do uh, at the scale of what the NIH funds, which is right now $3 billion annually, um, I believe we can do that with an impact DAO I'm calling Cerebrum DAO uh, to focus it on Alzheimer's and neurodegenerative diseases. And um, ultimately, with the sustainability of that model, um, have it um, perpetuate and pursue brain longevity because we need to, um, you know, there, there are a lot more things to do with our brain than just um, stop neurodegeneration. So that's what I'm doing. And that, that's what I think an impact DAO is. Um, we've got obvious, uh, a, lot of dis a lot I can discuss about the mechanism and how we're using it versus others, but I'll stop there for now. Thank you, Brian. And it's super insightful. And when we talk about ESG impact, the E for environmental is definitely a very hot topic among investors. And more companies are trying to offset their carbon footprints and become a zero carbon emission company. And interestingly, it has been argued by researchers that carbon offsets actually don't work as there wouldn't be enough carbon credits to hit the sustainable development goals by 2030. And that offset markets are not sufficient to decarbonize the global economy. And with this controversial argument, I want to ask our next speaker, Samuel Lee from Green Climate Dow, our next question. Green Climate Dow runs on a carbon neutral blockchain backed by high quality carbon credits that funds credible and impactful decarbonization project, projects across the globe. Welcome Samuel, and thanks for joining us from Seoul, Korea, where it's like after midnight now. I hope you stay awake with us today. <laughs> so Samuel, before you share your thoughts are on this earlier argument and perhaps to the contrary, share how effective carbon credits and offsets are in your view. Can you introduce yourself to the audience first? Yes, definitely. Hi, uh, this is Samuel. Um, I started my career in uh, responsible investment. This is the word actually <clears throat> that was more adopted before the ESG took on. Um, when I was first engaged by um, um, leading many car manufacturers in my first job. Um, it was an eye-opening experience because um, I was told in my graduate, my professors, that Kyoto Protocol was a failure. But here I was um, uh, being engaged by my uh, customers uh, to improve on uh, the company's carbon footprint and uh, climate actions. So that's how I got, uh, how I got into this space. Um, that's why um, my last job was with CityP. It's the largest um, disclosure platform for climate-related um, information for corporates where 70% of the listed companies report their um, information annually to their uh, investors and stakeholders. Um, so having been with that experience, I've seen from um, um, the central bank's perspective and the regulatory uh, supervisors uh, take on approach on how to uh, address climate action uh, from the legal framework. So this is where I've experienced um, the introduction of renewable procurement um, for corporates, uh, the stewardship code for pension funds, uh, TCFD for um, financial institutions, um, reporting frameworks. Um, so, um, and while that happened, uh, I've also had the uh, enjoyed the, uh, I was lucky enough, fortunate enough to be exposed to crypto space um, from 2017 by, uh, by belonging to a committee called NONS. I think it's the largest um, physical DAO in Korea. Um, and I think uh, 
Green Climate DAO is as uh, I joined Green Climate DAO because I saw a a perfect fit for uh, the two, uh, and and uh, that's uh, that's who I am. Uh, and to jump into addressing your question, it's funny that uh, these questions exist because we are living under what's so called Paris Agreement uh, uh, framework. This is Paris Agreement is a uh, global. Uh, agreement among at country level where even North Korea has promised to join uh, to uh, to address climate change and uh, with that um, there are exporters and importers of carbon credits and uh, because net zero for us to achieve net zero it's impossible to achieve that with uh, without carbon offsets so from from the legal perspective uh, these things are already embedded in in a um, at a government level, so I don't think that um, it's not a matter of whether carbon offsets work or not. It's it's more of a matter of how to make it work. So that's why you you start seeing these uh, words like DMRV, which stands for Digital Monitoring, Reporting, Verification, to address these questions on uh, on. Uh, um, on the challenges that exist with carbon offsets. So uh, from my perspective, carbon offsets are here to stay. Um, having seen from the companies, when they first in, are engaged internally and externally, they set climate goals. Um, and in their, um, in their journey to uh, accomplish things, um, they, they cannot do this without carbon uh, offsets. So, yeah, with that, I will um, end, my, uh, end the answer. Thank you. Yes, it's actually really a hot topic. Like you, you hear that a lot with a lot of companies right now. And also doubts about how truthful they are whenever companies actually claim that they are carbon neutral. Mm -hmm. So it's really insightful. So now let's move on to the S for social in ESG, where I will ask Melvira from Doing Good our next question. Doing Good is a Web3 ecosystem empowering communities to do good through its impacts protocol, NFT marketplace, and NFT tickets, which are made with love. They are soon launching its DAO membership to continue their legacy in funding social impact and sustainable development projects. Welcome, Mel, and thanks for joining us today. Please introduce yourself to the audience and tell us in the NFT space, how do DAOs work? And can DAOs make a more um, social impact alongside the existing NFT marketplace? Thanks, Rachel, and thank you everyone for being here. Um, so uh, as Rachel mentioned, I'm Melvera. I originally joined the blockchain ecosystem um, about six years back because I saw, I was in Puerto Rico, I saw uh, the a, a large crypto community moved into Puerto Rico and I saw what happened to a disruptive uh, to an economy when a disruptive technology moves in and there's no educational resources. Um, and so my background is actually environmental economics and social entrepreneurship. And I thought it was really cool to explore ways in which um, blockchain can be used to empower companies and projects that are ecological, um, while also making sure that we educate as many students and individuals as possible so that no one falls behind. Um, so really using technology in a conscious and um, intentional way. And in, in my years 
in the space that that's what I've been focused on and um, have been really happy to be able to work uh, with doing good uh, and be part of the founding team. It's um, often in, I mentioned I came into the industry because I was in Puerto Rico. I was there during Hurricane Maria. And uh, during Hurricane Maria, there are many people who wanted to donate and wanted to help. And um, some individuals would give uh, proceeds and donations to government um, nonprofits or the governor's wife nonprofit and instead to small local organizations that were having direct impact. Um, it came out a little later that the impact that was had by um, the governor's uh, wife's nonprofit wasn't uh, that much and actually a lot of funds had gone missing. Um, and I tell this story because this is the importance of having impact uh, fund, funding for impact organizations on the blockchain where you can have transparent um, transactions and see exactly the funds going to nonprofits. And that's actually what we started with at Doing Good. So um, our NFT marketplace was our first launch. We launched this uh, in December of this year. And we were in beta for a while and we actually were able to raise uh, over $80,000 in donations for nonprofits and onboard over 60 nonprofits. And our goal with this was to be able to show to the world that blockchain and NFTs can be used for good. And we launched originally on Polygon because we also wanted to show to artists who are very impact focused that you can launch NFTs and not have such a large uh, energy footprint. Uh, happy to say we're now also moving to Ethereum, which, which has moved on to proof of stake. Uh, so we were able to establish transparent funding. Um, and now actually we are launching a protocol. Uh, and the protocol establishes transparent impact as well and leads onto a DAO. So to answer your question, uh, before I get a little more into it, uh, NFTs and DAOs work in, in ways of really um, empowering community. So there are different ways that DAOs can be seen uh, with NFTs. You can see that you can buy an NFT and that gives you a membership to a DAO. And by having that membership, you can vote on what happens in the DAO. In doing good's, in doing good's example, we're actually launching an NFT membership um, in the coming weeks. And this is for all impact leaders uh, and those who want to do good <laughs> uh, to join together and put all the puzzle pieces together and be able to vote on the tools that we create in the future um, and more and more. But uh, the DAO comes at a later place. The membership is really for doing good and the protocol. Um, there are different NFTs that can, can be for uh, different reasons. So as I was mentioning earlier, going back to DAOs and NFTs, um, I've seen groups where some, some individuals come together as a community and as a DAO to, to buy an, a certain NFT and come together and vote what kind of NFTs they want to see. There's also, um, you'll see different kinds of brands or artists or uh, NFTs come around and uh, be able to really create kind of like fan engagement and empowering fans and empowering collectors 
uh, so that they can continue voting on maybe what's the next piece that's going to go live or, uh, for example, Polish ambassador and uh, an awesome musician created his NFTs and whoever holds it gets access to the DAO. Um, and you can go to his concerts, you can go to his events. There's different really ways that DAOs and NFTs can be seen. In terms of NFTs for impact um, and, and DAOs for impact, it's super exciting because we, there are so many people around the world uh, that want to do good and that want to have a positive impact. And oftentimes, if I go back to my original story of Puerto Rico, it's really about coordination and getting the people together and being able to, um, you know, sometimes when you raise funds for different nonprofits and for one specific topic, like we can talk about uh, women's reproductive rights, um, there will be different nonprofits. And sometimes the question becomes, okay, who's going to accept the funds first and how do we send it across these different areas? Well, in this case, you could have the DAO accepting the funds originally and uh, the funds going directly to the nonprofits from there on. It's even more interesting when we tie a smart contract around it and it automatically happens in this way and you can trust that this is happening. Um, we can also pass proposals as to research. Uh, we can make it more transparent as to what impact is being had. So uh, in doing good's case, we're having all the nonprofits uh, be able to report impact and not just nonprofits, any uh, community member, anyone in the media, any reporter, anyone to report impact and have the rest of the community validate this impact. So that in the DAO, um, it, the community can say, okay, we wanna give more funds to this nonprofit because it seems like they're reporting and having more impact and it's transparent and we can see this. And we can see the funds transparently going to that nonprofit. And so it really creates a, a circle of trust um, in, in one that you don't really have to worry. So um, yeah. <laughs> Definitely exciting times ahead. So for next, I'm going to bring on our last speaker, Janelle Fortaleza from Aquagoat, which is an eco uh, ecological DeFi token. DeFi stands for Decentralized Finance and a sustainable community-driven project with a purpose to save our oceans. Super important. A portion of every transaction of the Ocean Blue Fund is used to fund ocean cleanup and marine conservation initiatives. Welcome, Janelle. And thanks for joining us today. Um, I know that Aquagoat is in the process of forming a DAO. Why do DeFi projects need DAOs? And what are the benefits from an investment point of view? And um, please also, excuse me, uh, introduce yourself before you answer those questions. Absolutely. That's a great question. Thanks so much for having me here. So again, I'm Janelle Fortaleza. I'm the Charity and Outreach Coordinator for Aquagoat. Um, Aquagoat basically is a community-driven social crypto um, dedicated to ocean and marine life conservation, just like what you said. Um, the project, so our history is actually pretty interesting. The project is essentially a community takeover of an anonymous de developer's um, abandoned token. So like somebody put something out, um, 
and just said, here you go. This is the contract. This is what it is. And um, there was a group of us in the community who wanted to offer our services. We volunteered either our web design services. Um, in my case, my experience with um, outreaching to organizations and charities um, and other people just contributed all of their uh, skills in order to build the Aquagoat community. And um, since then, we've actually been able to do a lot of really amazing things as a community. Um, we've used the token as a vehicle to fund really um, noteworthy endeavors. Um, my favorite one is the Aquagoat Sea Turtle Hatchery um, that we partnered with uh, at Foster. So we actually have been able to help release thousands of baby turtles, uh, be born safely on land, and then um, help them get into the ocean. Uh, we've also spearheaded the first marine protected area with Hariban in the Philippines. Um, so, and you know, we've done a bunch of other donations that are all community voted on. And um, yeah, it's a, we, we uh, have operated in a DAO-like way for a long time. Um, and now we're in the process of, of making it uh, official and embedded in our our contract. Um, so back to your question, though, about uh, why do DeFi projects need DAOs? So I'm learning from experience, and this is um, something that, you know, as a volunteer for this project, when we first started in April of 2021, I had no idea the roller coaster we we're going to end up going on um, as a DeFi project. Uh, and now, in hindsight, all the things that we've learned, I'm like, we should have started as a DAO in the first place. Um, so there's there's several, there's many reasons, but I'm going to touch on three really like important ones just based on the experiences that we've had at Aquagoat. So um, DAOs basically. It, for people who are unfamiliar, uh, have the power to distribute, like voting, uh, power to change the contract, power to do, depending on how it's organized, it distributes the power collectively amongst the, the members of the DAO. And it's a new way of organizing cooperation, basically. So the three things that I think most, like DAOs would most, benefit or DeFi projects would most benefit from DAOs is um, it enables more equity, first of all, uh, for the members. Uh, it builds trust with transparency and responsibility in how funds are being used. And it also spreads the workload by incentivizing participation amongst the people, especially when you have like us, like a team of volunteers who are are spending a lot of their time into putting this this project together uh, and being able to spread that workload while incentivizing the people who are participating is really important. Um, and if I could go in just really quickly about each of those three things that I brought up. So with equity of voice, uh, the community projects like Aquagoat have to have like a more decentralized way of carrying out um, voting. And right now, the way that we've been doing it is through polls on our Telegram, on our Twitter, and then we carry out whatever the community votes on. So if the community wants to donate this 
portion of funds towards this particular organization. That's the way that we've been able to do it in the past. But being able to have it built into the contract, it enables more people, maybe people who are not as, so, as active on social media, um, also enables people to um, let their voice be heard through their through their governance tokens, basically. Um, and then building trust, having a DAO that's structured uh, in a way that makes it so that um, people are able to see what's going on, like from beginning to end. You know, we do have in in DeFi projects, we do have the TXN. Re, uh, receipts, but the good thing with the DAO is that um, you'll be able to see from beginning to end, from the time of voting to the actual like transition of the funds to the the people who are going to use them. So the example I can come up with is our turtle hatchery. So right now we actually pay for locals in on Liberon Island to clean the beaches so that the turtles can lay their eggs safely. And um, we actually pay them in aqua goat tokens. But the, a lot of it, there's a lot of trust that has to be built into that because we have to take it out of the, um, the charity wallet because a portion of all transactions on our, on our, um, on our token goes towards the charity wallet, but then there has to be all these extra steps in order to get them to the to the the cleaners on the beaches. Um, and it also helps stimulate that local economy. But if we had once we have the DAO format, um, we'll actually be able to go from beginning to end, to end from the voting process to the actual wallets of the people directly instead of having all of this like extra steps. And so it just builds that further transparency, responsibility and trust. And then the voters will actually be able to see the whole transaction happen. Um, and then just spreading the workload. It does, you know, when you're volunteering for something like this, you know, it does get um, kind of tiring to always like, depend on the same group of people, the same group of volunteers. So having the DAO, once we form that, we'll be able to automate incentives, we'll, able, we'll be able to incentivize participation, and we'll be able to get it so that it's, it's um, allowing people all over the world to be able to help build the presence of AquaGoat or the presence of any DAO. Um, to be able to make it um, more sustainable long-term. And so more people will be able to volunteer, more people will be able to uh, participate and make it uh, realistic. It's definitely but, very unique. Yeah. Very unique. And um, sorry, we only have 30 minute, more minutes time. Yeah, sure. so I want to make sure I have more questions and uh, let's be more specific so we can get as many answers as possible. Um, so we mentioned something about uh, when Mel mentioned about you know the traceability and also everything is actually on the blockchain for more transparency. I cannot emphasize enough how important impact measurement is when uh, when when we are driving positive change 
because impact and measurement can help create systemic, sustainable change, and it also drives value creation for an organization. So Brian, can you tell us how impact DAOs measure its impact and is it transparent and traceable across the community such as investors and contributors? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great topic. And, um, you know, it's really interesting because uh, the early days of, of crypto were uh, largely what you hear and see and, and you watch successful projects. Um, things come quickly and, and it's, a, it's a lot about, we hear this word coordination and these tokens and tools are really great for coordinating activity in a global network. Um, and, and so what we're seeing are projects that can coordinate enthusiasm. Um, and that's fantastic. But ultimately, you know, we need to be accruing value into these DAOs if we want to achieve sustainability. And for impact DAOs, I look at that two ways. I'm like accruing value means how am I, how am I adding more value to my treasury so I can continue to pursue my mission? And so that does come down to return on investment in many ways. And we need to find when we're using our treasury to do things, um, you know, we do need to make sure that we're generating returns so we can grow it and almost grow it exponentially. And that's really a thesis behind Cerebrum DAO is we can, uh, we can grow through returns exponentially. Um, and then you also need to say, well, what impact outcomes are we having? And, and there's some interesting research that's been done in this field. And um, how I think about the Cerebrum impact DAO is I, I look at us as kind of if you had a Venn diagram and you took uh, venture philanthropy on one circle and you, you crossed it over with impact investing, uh, you would have what's the Cerebrum impact DAO or what we're doing. Venture philanthropy is, is um, it, it basically it's a, a nonprofit, so you get a tax write-off for your donation, but the venture, the venture philanthropy deploys it for return on investment and impact. And so when they get returns, they redeploy it for their mission. Um, impact investments, um, they're seeking ROI, multiple and invested capital, and then they're also trying to have some impact outcomes. And we're trying to do both. Um, and with, uh, with Cerebrum Dow, that's how we think we can effectively accomplish our mission. And so ROI is very straightforward. You make an investment and you, you can track it over time and you know how much money uh, you made on it on a multiple basis and uh, a return. Um, it, it's interesting. I found um, a classmate of mine actually is a co-author of this. There is, a, there is an article in the Harvard Business Review called Calculating the Value of Impact Investing. And um, so this uh, person, Maya Korangel, who works for the RISE Fund, it's an impact investment fund. Uh, they came up with this concept of the impact multiple of money. Um, so it's IMM as the acronym. And, you know, the, the idea there is, yes, we're going to get our investment returns, but as we evaluate projects, uh, we want to see what, what impact multiple our dollar is going to achieve. And can we take a dollar and achieve, you know, two and a half or more dollars of impact, measurable impact outcome for that, in addition to the ROI we're achieving. And for us, you know, take the example of Alzheimer's disease, um, you know, pursuing uh, a, a broader array of um, solutions. So not just one therapeutic that's gonna reverse it, which I, you know, is really not likely. Um, if you look at it from a standpoint of everything from lifestyle changes and maybe digital health applications to therapeutics that can slow it down or delay the onset, uh, you can uh, you can achieve a lot of outcomes that are uh, going to have impact on society because 
the problem with Alzheimer's is, is you have a massive cost in society on, uh, on caregiving um, and caregivers and loss of economic productivity of people that have to take care of people with Alzheimer's and just the mental health impact of actually the devastation of this disease. And so a way we would measure an impact multiple of money is to say, not only are we gonna generate an ROI on a therapeutic investment, but we would say, okay, well, if that therapeutic investment is successful, how much multiple um, are we gonna have in terms of reduction of, of um, cost of care, uh, taking people out of the workforce because they've got to take care of a loved one if we can delay the onset with this solution by five or 10 years uh, for this many people. And, and so that's, um, you know, that, that's how I think about it. I thought it was a good metric and very useful. Um, and it allows you to think in both camps of ROI plus impact, and you can actually measure it um, and, and prove that you achieve those outcomes. Amazing, definitely very helpful. Um, and actually, I want to jump back to climate tech, which is um, also a lot of uh, interest in, uh, with many investors. And um, climate tech is necessary for the survival of our planet. Um, so that's why a lot of startups are taking action by creating technology with the future of our species, planet, and climate in mind. And the industry is predicted to reach 1.5 to 2 trillion in annual capital investment by 2025. So Samuel, I would love to, uh, to ask you the following question. What can the traditional climate movement or ESG movement learn from blockchain governance in order to achieve this ambitious goal? Well, actually, I must admit that uh, having been uh, interact, having interacted with um, several UN agencies, and also my background, which is CDP, SBTI, I wanted that there is uh, not yet that much of an interest on blockchain. Um, so they're just learning, as uh, everyone is. But uh, I, I personally think that the immediate use case or implications for blockchain will come from um, climate related matters. So give you an example, um, Brian, who, who's the owner of Coinbase, he, uh, I think it was last year when he was challenged with, with ESG matters, he said, I'm not going to um, address this issue at all. It's going to focus on the profitability of the shareholders. Then he changed his uh, stance um, altogether once the company got listed because he had to follow the rules of SEC. Um, I think, um, so um, that's one thing. Um, I, I see another um, immediate use case for um, the electricity markets uh, because it just gives a lot of, <clears throat> I, I'm, uh, there's a research that said 50, more than 50% of the um, utilities to, uh, today are have experimented with a blockchain one way to the other. Um, and the last one being um, uh, being carbon markets. Um, you, um, I would really recommend that you, um, if you're new to this, you look into um, a refi movement, which is named after DeFi. If that was a, uh, if, uh, am I answering the right question? Um, yeah, it's basically, you know, just wanted to know if the, you know, traditional climate movement can actually learn anything from the blockchain governance, um, the, the way how it's, how it's actually driven, like, um, how it's oh, um, yeah, um, <laughs> so, sorry, um, 
actually, <laughs> yes or no, because I'm, I'm not sure if you're if anyone is familiar with MakerDAO. This is one of the well-performing uh, DAO there is, but even they are struggling with uh, DAO governance. Like less than 5% of their stakeholders are actively engaged. So, um, and the founders regret going DAO from the beginning. Um, but that is not to say that uh, this uh, people from the regulatory environment and the <clears throat> from the traditional space do not have interest in DAO. So I think it's a, at this point, it's it's a really explorative st uh, stage. Um, Davos Forum uh, launching their impact DAO report uh, by the end of year. It just shows how much interest there is for DAO. But at, at, at this point, um, I think it's more of a uh, mm, uh, explorative stage. Uh, we are we, we from the crypto space. We don't know what we're dealing with yet. So. Um, yeah. Okay, thank you. Yes, I, I, I guess there's still a lot of uncertainties with DAOs and, you know, it's still... It is true. Yes, it's, um, it's still emerging technology. And every has actually different governance and how they operate. So there is no one-size-fits-all model so far. Um, it's, a, it's a learning for everybody, really. So mm -hmm. now I want to talk about reassurance. So I'm pretty sure that um, a lot of people hear about, you know, cyber attacks and whatnot. So I want to cover this part because I'm not going to only talk about how great DAOs are. There are obviously um, uh, risks involved, not just the investment itself, but, um, you know, with, as recently as last month, a DAO founder just disappeared with, with the funding. Right? And not to mention when it comes to a large amount of money, it can also be subject to possible uh, cyber attacks. So I want to cover reassurance. Many people believe that testing and certifying uh, smart contracts is an important part of keeping the blockchain ecosystem safe. Nonetheless, of course, there is always risk involved, there, but perhaps there are actually ways for investors to be more aware of possible Ponzi schemes, you know, something that we could be more aware of. So Mel, the next question is for you. Could you tell us what investors and contributors should look out for uh, in a credible impact DAO roadmap? Like when a certain roadmap and it's uh, you know followed through that we can actually really be assured that this is not a Ponzi scheme. People are just gonna collect the money and run off. Yes, thank you for such a great question. Um, really important that you do some research on the founding members of the DAO and those that are launching this DAO, um, that they've been a uh, part of reputable, legitimate uh, companies and projects uh, in the previous years, and that they've also been participating in other DAOs, and this isn't their first run at a DAO um, or time engaging in a DAO. Uh, that's, that's first off. Um, second of all, uh, it's important to see what the DAO is for. Like, let's take, for example, if it's a DAO that um, is to create impact, um, let's say, in, in going back to women's rights. Women's rights. Um, it'll be very important to be able to understand how they're doing it, what their timeline is. It's just like when you observe, analyze a project that you're going to give some funds to, right? So making sure that they have um, a 
legitimate timeline that they have some sort of funding and aren't just depending solely on um, on membership funds. Many do, uh, but in that case, it's also important to understand the economics of the DAO as well. Um, is the DAO going to be uh, sustaining itself on solely memberships? Is there another way that the that the DAO is going to be having um, some kind of revenue? And most importantly, understanding the risk of your involvement in the DAO. Um, some DAOs, as uh, some were mentioning, you actually earn by participating, which is really awesome. Um, and so you'll want to make sure that um, it's clear to you the time commitment while also knowing what. Is it my internet? No, it's uh, no. Mel. It's Mel, yeah. I think uh, she has some uh, internet. Sorry. Yeah. Maybe, Rachel, we can go to somebody else till she. Can you yes. hear me? Yeah. Mel, yeah, you're you cutting off on, on and off. Um, no worries. I hate to be uh, to affect the rest of the speakers. <laughs> no so problem. We can feel... maybe come back to you after. For sure. Yeah. So the next question, actually, uh, obviously, we talk about uncertainties and vulnerabilities in DAOs. Um, however, I strongly believe if you actually believe in the concept of, of decentralized governance, DAOs will play a big role in contributing to a better tomorrow in Web3. Many DAOs might still be far away from being completely decentralized or autonomous, but as an investor, we also invest in the future we believe in. So um, to think, think about it, who would believe that Netflix could overtake Blockbuster back in the day? So we have to learn and see the value at a very early stage, especially with emerging technology in order to make a real impact and return. So I want to talk a bit about evolution of DAOs. So Janelle, there are arguably three key ways for DeFi uh, to evolve, usability, regulatory clarity, and increased liquidity. Do you believe DeFi projects operated by DAOs can tackle these challenges? And could we keep it short so we can finalize the final three questions? Yes, I apologize for that. I just get no, really don't worry. <laughs> excited and then talk too much. But um, yeah, I do agree that, um, that uh, a DAO project or a DeFi project that's operated by a DAO are more equipped to tackle these kinds of issues. So like you said, um, the first one, you said usability, mm -hmm. right? So um, DAOs offer a much more focused uh, and, and accessible way to um, participate in DeFi projects. And that's something that um, DeFi projects definitely need to evolve on because it is hard for people who aren't familiar with the space to be able to participate in a DAO. So, I mean, in the DeFi project, so the DAO helps it to be uh, more accessible and also focuses on real life utility, particularly impact DAOs. Um, it ha definitely helps to um, enable people to, to continue um, doing their the good efforts that they want by um, by being uh, participating in the DAO, um, the re regulatory clarity 
So like I had mentioned before, it, it's, it's a way to audit the trail of blockchain. Um, and it also eliminates any of the guesswork that goes into um, all of the processes that go from the voting to the actual uh, organizations who are benefiting. Um, it also helps to clarify like where the funds are going to in the sense of like for our project, um, we have donated money anywhere from um, large organizations, like really well-known organizations like the Ocean Cleanup um, to individuals who actually like have a brand new project that nobody has heard of who's trying to get grant money, but it's very hard to get grant money. So it provides that clarity and eliminates that guesswork um, go seeing where the funds go to and how it's spent. Um, same thing with the local villagers who are cleaning the beaches for the turtles. Um, we could see that they actually receive the tokens. Um, and that's something that uh, DAO, DAOs are able to show and are more equipped to tackle versus just a regular DeFi project. And the last one that you mentioned was increased liquidity. So it's um, the fact that DAOs have increased decision makers and um, have those built-in incentives, it means automatically, it means like more participation. Um, so the more governance tokens somebody holds, um, the higher their voting power, if that's how the DAO is structured. And um, it helps in turn to build more of that liquidity. So having this genuine mission, having this goal, um, makes it more attractive for supporters, just like the three points that I had mentioned earlier. And um, that DAO structure um, helps continue the community-driven, humanitarian-driven projects to be sustainable um, with that increased liquidity. Great. Um, we only have 10 more minutes. And although I do have three more questions, but I actually want to leave some time for the audience to ask any questions. And um, only if we have some time left, we can continue. But anybody else who actually want to um, ask questions, you can raise your hands and I can put you or ask the questions in chat. I believe uh, Brian has been answering most of the questions already in the chat. As oh, perfect. So yeah, Thank we don't you, have Brian. standing there, but yeah, you can okay. uh, carry Not on. Not all of them, just some. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Okay, so I do actually want to jump to one very important um, question to for people to, to understand how the tokens work, because obviously one important step of a DAO is to figure out how to receive funding and how to assign governance. This is typically done through token issuance by setting tokens to raise funds and fill the DAO treasury. Token holders are given voting rights proportional to their holdings and are able to own equity in the DAO to help shape the DAO's future. So imagine uh, owning a governance token in a DAO is like holding um, equity in an early stage startup. So if it becomes successful later on, that equity will be extremely valuable. So I actually want to ask Samuel a very quick question. There are different DAOs, uh, sorry, uh, different tokens in, the, in a DAO. Um, but can you explain uh, the difference between utility tokens and equity tokens? And what are the key difference or is there an advantage of one over the other? Yeah, um, good question. Utility tokens uh, and equity tokens or security tokens, they have a very 
big difference from the investor's perspective and also from the projects I mean, the product developer's perspective. So in a sense, utility tokens is what drove the ICO in 2017. Um, equity tokens or security tokens is what is entering today in the crypto space in the, uh, in the wake of um, some challenges that exist with, uh, with anonymity and lack of regulations for utility tokens. Um, being a member of blockchain associations, there is uh, yet a regulatory clarity for the investors on you know which is which constitutes a security tokens or not because they're they're in the making. But um, in a concept level, security tokens is um, is a digital representation of I mean shares. It's a shares made into tokens. Utility tokens is a non-security token. So at a console level, you, you hold this token, you're not an owner of this protocol or the service, but you have access to this service that there, it's being provided. That's a really high level um, difference between the two. Um, why would people invest in or issue this is totally another, um, uh, another uh, conversation. But uh, with that, I'll just leave it there. If you have any questions, feel free to okay. uh, ask. So I see some questions. Let's go through how do you explain about it? Okay. Brian, do you want to ask uh, answer the question, how do we sustain the value of equity tokens? Ask by Yeah, well, I, I won't get into equity tokens specifically because I, I, I think that's, um, if, if it literally is an equity token or or a security, um, it, it's a well-worn path. It, it's the same way we sustain it in the in the security model. Uh, you accrue value through um, uh, uh, doing something to earn a profit um, greater than your expenses, and it goes into the treasury of the corporation, and and it'll continue on. So, I, I, I think with equity tokens or security tokens, these are literally just um, a better way to tokenize a security because it's global. Um, and, and available to the public on, on, a, on a global basis, as opposed to, you know, with equity tokens and securities, you got to be in different jurisdictions to be able to buy and trade and hold. And there are all sorts of different rules that apply, um, you know, specifically with related to DAOs, whether, whether we consider them utility tokens or something else. I, I think what you see on a lot of DAOs right now are um, they are token models without really putting a, a definition around it with maybe technical uh, explanation of saying there's utility because there's participation rights and governance rights to it. Um, you know, we we look at it from a perspective of we're issuing uh, a token. Ours is a, ours is an NFT. Um, I like the NFT because we're making um, we're making investments in research and and companies to achieve impact outcomes for diseases. Uh, so we went with an NFT model. So it's one one membership, one vote. And one token. So our, our view of value accrual is we grow the, you know, the actions we do with the treasury we have uh, generates returns that grow the treasury beyond the investment we made. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, whether your, your token or membership token appreciates in value or not is outside of our control. Um, but our goal is to grow the treasury and, and, and achieve measurable impact outcomes for our mission because doing that is gonna give us more funding to be able to go do more impact for our mission. And it becomes recursive. Very insightful, thank you. 
Um, so Mel, if your internet is back on, do you want to answer the following question by uh, Annalise, if I pronounce it correctly? So how do you structure a DAO to make sure there is a short engagement and how do you maintain it over the long term? People lose interest. So can a DAO prevent this? I don't think the internet is working. Yeah, it's finicky. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, it happens. <laughs> okay, uh, Janelle, do you want to answer that question? Sure. Um, so the question was, uh, how, how, how yeah, how do you structure a DAO to make sure there is a short uh, engagement and how do you maintain um, the interest? Like, long for yeah, that, that's a really great, great question. So DAOs can have built-in incentives for participation that like regular DeFi projects can't really provide on their own. Um, so a DAO can have this overall mission and vision like ocean cleanup or um, climate change, um, but a DAO can actually have specific tasks that can be spread out to more community members who in turn will receive uh, incentives for their work. So it almost decentralizes the workforce um, rather than having it be focused on just like this core group of volunteers or just on the center group of um, people who are like leading the DAO. Um, so that's something that helps with like you mentioned, volunteer fatigue. Um, and that's something that we're in the process of transitioning to because we want to keep things going. Great. So um, I think we are going to wrap it up because we are almost at the clock. Despite the uncertainties and the unknowns of DAOs that are ahead of us, which may seem very foreign to some of you, if we truly uh, want to drive a positive change in the world, we must work together towards a common goal for greater impact, in my opinion. And Impact DAO definitely has this um, ripple effect. Just imagine an Impact DAO that has the same number of token holders as Facebook num uh, Facebook's number of users, which is over a billion of people. The positive change will be substantial. So if we want to go far, we must go together. That's my uh, view on DAOs and the trust in DAO. Um, so I actually want, really wanted to discuss how will Impact DAO shape the future, but maybe for next webinar, Sharat. So yeah. uh, let's wrap it up. And thank you all, uh, Brian, Samuel, Mel, and Janelle, once again, for sharing your valuable insights. And thanks, Sharat, for co-hosting this webinar with me. Pass on back to you. Yeah, thanks. And on a housekeeping note, there'll be a recording of this webinar along with the podcast which will be available sometime tomorrow, same time at onlywebinars.com. I also want to invite our audience and in fact, our panelists to uh, join our future webinars. We have one which is scheduled for 12th October. It's a panel discussion on Web3, culture and future. Very interesting uh, conversation with three panelists who are coming in from France, New York and Frisco. So do join us on 12th October. And there's another one towards end of October, on 26th October, we are talking about community building in Web3. Very interesting topic because for any brand to succeed in the metaverse and Web3 space, you must have a robust community uh, you know, around your brand. So we are going to be taking a deep dive on community building with some experts who know a thing or two about this subject. So yeah, so thank you to the audience for investing your 60 minutes with us today. It's been amazing. Thank you to all our panelists once again, Brian, Janelle, Samuel, Lee, Mel, 
and Rachel for hosting the show. It was super interesting. A lot of takeaways, I'm sure, for our audience. So stay tuned and see you on the other side. Bye for now. Thank you, everyone. Thank Bye. you. Bye.